It was kind of surreal actually watching yesterday and listening yesterday to our Anglican Archbishop and having that juxtaposed with the Southern Baptist Convention. And yeah, it was. Wow, you know, we ACNAers are coming to be more conservative than the Southern Baptist Convention. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Yeah, great, Nick. Getting in the swing of summer? Yeah, we are. We've had, I mean, unlike Binghamton, our pool has been open since February. Um, so, <laughs> just kidding, but it is open April 1st. Uh, which is still, I think, ski season in upstate New York. But um, yeah, but we is. so summer around here is is quite brutal, actually. I mean, it's just. Um, but what's interesting is I've gotten back into the to the um, what I was grew up as the child, which is that you have to carry around a light jacket with you everywhere you go because the um, every place is air conditioned yep. to about sixty eight degrees, and so. If you wear glasses, then you can walk out um, and be met like uh, like at the Louisville Zoo when you go into the tropics pavilion. <laughs> where the albino alligator is <laughs> exactly right. So, yeah, we are in the middle of summer, which means Sky Zone um, and other mm-hmm. indoor activities other than pools are um, are packed uh, yeah. to the gills. But but it's I'm not complaining. It's a wonderful time. And Matt, how's the garden? It's great. So it's like we had a whole bunch of snow this winter, which is really good because it builds up the nitrogen in the soil. And so it's like it's like Eden out in the back, backyard. It's great. It's amazing. I um, mean, it makes us look really good. Last year was horrible. We had no snow. It was dying flowers and weeds. But it's Just great. puttering around with your masks on outside because of the <laughs> edict of your tyrannical yeah. governor. Right, 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 that's right. right. That's right. <laughs> Well, listen, guys, we had two coincidental and kind of related events happen yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday, June 16th. <clears throat> yesterday, during the ACNA's annual provincial council meeting, Archbishop Foley Beach, as part of his remarks, strongly criticized critical race theory by name and made clear that it is antithetical to Christianity and the good news of Jesus Christ. This is, I think we'd all agree, welcome clarity on the part of our provincial leadership. At the same time, okay, technically, I think it was a few hours later, the Southern Baptist Convention, during its annual meeting in Nashville, elected a new president, Ed Litton, who, by all accounts, though Matt and J.D. may know more about the specifics of this than I do, but by all accounts, Litton was the candidate most willing to speak in the kinds of categories for which advocates of some kind of Christianized critical race theory would want to advocate. So we have two denominations, one much bigger than the other, of course, potentially shifting in different directions. What were you guys thinking yesterday, both about Archbishop Peach and about the SBC election? J.D., I know you watched seven hours of live streamed (laughs) SBC content. What what were some initial thoughts? Well, I think it was um, it was an interesting there's a lot of inside baseball um, in leading up to the SBC, which we don't have to cover here. But uh, Bodie Bauckham, actually, in his book, Fault Lines, has an entire chapter devoted to it, which some people think is the least interesting chapter. But if you know any of the of the players, um, which I do and and a lot of people do, um, it was quite enlightening. But suffice it to say is that in 2019, they passed a resolution, the now infamous or famous Resolution 9, that argued that uh, critical race theory could be used as an analytical tool that was sort of a it was a um, 
value neutral sort of theory that um, that was not antithetical to the gospel, that didn't undermine biblical worldview, you, you know, so on and so forth. There was a lot of discussion about that and has subsequently produced an incredible amount of discussion, almost two years of uh, well back and forth and, and a lot of um, heat and light, I would say. So leading up into this convention, there was one, uh, both uh, Pastor Mike Stone and Al Mohler had spoken against critical race theory, and there was some sort of more qualified um, discussions about it from the other two candidates. But suffice it to say, is it what we wanted to have happen, which is why uh, Archbishop Foley's statement was so was real refreshing, is that what they wanted to the people, regardless of who became president, because remember, it's just a one year term. It's really a functional functionary term. And it's it's um, they don't you know, it's Baptist. It's not like they're they're top down hierarchical in the first place. But what they wanted even more so than the president's was a resolution that would either rescind Resolution 9 um, and say, we no longer think that critical race theory is a value neutral analytical tool or have some new resolution that would explicitly by name call out critical race theory as something that we were denying or or saying was antithetical to the gospel. And so what actually happened was that despite all of the sort of signatories and there was a number of resolutions presented all which were geared towards this this end of wanting critical race theory to be explicitly uh, condemned what came out of the resolutions committee was uh, resolution number two which talks in general about theories and about theories that are antithetical to the world uh, uh, specific worldviews but doesn't stop it stops short of actually articulating this specific theory critical race theory and so that was seen as a as sort of an obfuscation by the people who had made their way all the way to Nashville, really with one one purpose, as far as I could tell, which was to to have a to go home to their churches and say, we are part of a church that has explicitly um, stated that the critical race theory is antithetical to the gospel and is not a tool to be used, but is rather a worldly secular ideology to be condemned. And uh, I know that it's still going on now. I was just jumped on Twitter to see there was kind of a last minute uh, guy named Tom Askell and Jared Longshore who run an organization called Founders, which I which I find very edifying and do a, a weekly podcast, gave a debrief uh, last night late uh, talking about sort of a end around um, possible bringing something out of committee and things. I mean, there's a lot of uh, politicking, you know, that's just part of human um, relation. But um, just in a brief check here, unless I miss something, um, there's nothing that that happens. So I think that where we are is that they have elected the the candidate who, like you I think you said very um, politically and very in the way out, who seems to be at the very least the least concerned about the 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 possible negative realities of critical race theory. I think that would be a safe thing to say. They've elected that president and have refused to sort of explicitly condemn critical race theory as a as a beneficial analytical tool for the sake of their churches, which which is leaving a lot of Southern Baptist people in, in a quite interesting place today uh, because, well, their church has spoken and, you know, it's a democratic uh, institution to a certain degree and the majority has spoken and this is where they are and people are going to have to con- consider, um, you know, where they're going to go from here. And when Revolution, Resolution 9 was passed, Cho Schmo had never heard the phrase critical race theory. It's been really amazing to watch these last few years now. 
everybody knows, I mean, the proponents will claim that we don't understand it and we don't know what it is. That's not true. That's we right. do know what it is. But every like you can have a conversation about critical race theory at the grocery store with the checkout guy. Like everybody knows what this is in a way that was completely not true when resolution nine was yes. passed. So now you have sort of the hoi polloi and the normal churches wondering, hey, what is my church going to do about this? That's right. Yeah. And if that's really getting to a frustrating point, Nick, about um, the fact that it's it, unless you agree with critical race theory, you don't understand it. You know, it's like the old the old um, adage about communism. You know, it's like the only problem with communism for the communists is it's never actually been tried. So you can point to Venezuela and China. And, oh, that's not communism. You know, that's right. Oh, no, no, no. That wasn't the right way. But but, you know, I don't know what else to do. Like I personally have purchased all of the or not all, but many of the actual texts that are taught in classes in seminary i mean in um well god help us hopefully not in seminaries or at least not our seminaries but um in colleges on the topic of critical race theory and working my way through them and so it's like well i may not have gotten a master's or phd in this specific discipline but i don't know what else to do in order to understand it yeah i mean primary sources and then try to talk to you about what these primary sources say and so that's that does that does highlight a really difficult part of this conversation, which interestingly enough, Archbishop Foley brought up too, which is that, you know, there's a lot of emotive, there's a lot of emotion surrounding all of these issues, which are creating a lot of light, but very little heat, because when you sort of step back from them and consider some of the actual claims or assumptions, and then begin to have a dialogue that so too often people just get upset and their feelings hurt and cancel the conversation. And that's something certainly we we're trying to, um, to avoid on our own laws. But anyway, but I think that that is the that is the amazing change is that critical race theory two years ago, we would have many people would have said, well, that sounds like something I'm not into. But but what is it? And now it's like, like you said, it's it's like the plank that everyone's running on for or against in just about every every possible election from churches to uh, city boards, government yeah. and back. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty, pretty transparently um cynical defense that the CRT people put forward and they say, you know, you've got to read these 65 sources and all the footnotes. And then, and then you could possibly have a conversation about critical race theory. Maybe like if, if a prisoner, you know, came to me and said, Hey, can you tell me about Jesus? And I said, well, you know, nah, you really need to, we came to have the conversation about Jesus until you read all the books of the Bible and read the commentaries in the books. And then possibly we can have a conversation about Jesus. No, no, you can, you can get basic outlines of the gospel without, without having to do all that work and not that CRT is the gospel, but it's the same. It's a, it's a, it's a concept. It's a philosophy. And you can, you can understand the basic outlines of the philosophy pretty simply. I mean, if you understand the way Marxism works with regard to class and economics, you can understand the way uh, most critical theories work with, with regard right. to social um social relationships and and so it's, it's really not that not that difficult um so i was it was kind of surreal actually watching yesterday uh and listening yesterday to the our anglican archbishop archbishop and having that juxtaposed with the southern baptist convention and yeah, it was wow you know we acnaers are coming to be more conservative than the southern baptist convention yeah i never thought that would be the case uh even even in the glory golden days of the, you know 2009 when the acna <laughs> first started up i never thought we would be we would be at a place where we all of your this. hopes and dreams have come yeah through well, now, we did the SBC <laughs> and say, wow what a bunch of liberals what's wrong with That's those right <laughs> those southern baptists so, so um no but i think it was i think it, it was, was amazing i mean i i couldn't help but 
you know, I was following Twitter all day long yesterday and I had the hashtag SBC 21, which, you know, Twitter is not exactly a, um, a right leaning um, platform in terms of the people that are tweeting all the time. So it was unsurprising that most of the hashtags were being used by people who were making fun of what was happening or sort of pointing out gaffes or whatever the case is. But the similarities between a lot of either the discussion or the selfies taken or some of the issues even discussed, the, the similarities between the Southern Baptist Convention yesterday and some of the Episcopal Church conventions that I had um, similarly followed, never attended, uh, were was really quite astonishing to me. It was like, I never thought that I would be watching people sort of, you know, going back and forth about various issues and kind of being snarky and sort of things in a, in a Southern Baptist convention, like in the exact same, I mean, you know, various, various ribbons that represented, you know, um, causes that needed to have, everyone had their name tag on that said like, you know, fight for the rainforest or stuff like this. And I was just <laughs> transported back to like, you know, the, the, that, that sort of behemoth, which is the Episcopal church convention. Yeah. I've been to um, them. And I felt bad. I was like, oh, there was really it was quite saddening for me, um, you know, because I mean, just as our listener, our listeners know, um, well, you know, Nick is still in Louisville. But when we are both in Louisville, we became good friends with many of the Southern Baptist uh, professors, including Al Moeller, um, who was a big supporter of uh, our work in the Episcopal Church because he saw us as a um, you know, sort of a holdout um, kind of resistance um, fighters. And so he um, did really was quite gracious to us. And so we have we have a lot of affinity for them theologically and otherwise. And to watch what was happening was was quite um, well, it was it was disheartening. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't, you know, we, we will take heart in the hope of the gospel, but it was quite a juxtaposition, as you said, and one that was totally unforeseen or un- unexpected. But I'll take it. I mean, I do think the I do think Baptists in general have more. Uh, it's, it's safer in the sense that they are not so connected uh, as we are within Anglicanism. Anglicanism. As I just turned the word, but yeah, they they, they you know they're, they're independent churches basically. Yeah, they, yeah, right. they, belong, they belong to a convention, but the convention can't come into your church and say, this is what you're going to do. This is what you're going to put in your uh, right. statement of beliefs. So there, there, there's there's a nice nice bit of separation from the, the wider church uh, to in the congregation whereas with an anglicanism within the 18a you know if if your diocese goes south you are in serious trouble if you're if you yeah. are if you're um if the archbishop becomes woke yeah he doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on your your own congregation but boy those things can go downhill well, pretty fast for sure and think about even how he mentioned you know he has the ability to uh call um you know, task force together. And he yeah. has these, um, these sort of initiatives that he can get behind. And so even, even now mentioning things like the Anglican multi-ethnic network, um, and, um, I forget what the other one was about every tribe, um, and, nation, every tribe yeah. and nation, you know, these are all now under the umbrella that he has opened with respect to kind of the, the limits of secular ideology with respect to these initiatives. Well, then I look forward to seeing what, what happens with a, with a multi-ethnic network commission. Yeah, as or long the, as they're working with I the mean, Praise God. I mean, I think these things, that's what that's it's a little bit. Well, it's not a little bit. It's exactly like when they came out with the um, statement on um, the pastoral statement on on um, sexual identities. It's like we can now get to work 
from a gospel-centered, biblically-informed way to do the, the hard work of pastoring people who are sinners in the, in the middle of, of this, this sinful world. I mean, this is what we're going to do. And so it doesn't stop the mission. It doesn't stop the, in, the initiative at all. It just puts it in its proper perspective. And I think that's where what, what, what Archbishop Foley gave us. And I hope um, only to have further clarification going forward and look forward to participating in and seeing every tribe and nation network and the all of these various networks you know, we come together. Back up and give the context for that because we talked a lot about the Southern Baptist um, Convention. You know, there, the the race conversation in the ACNA has been ongoing, and the, with the same about the same time that the the gender sexuality commission started its work, there was another commission established on race and racial rec- reconciliation, um, and I was I served on it. Um, and that committee finished its work uh, four months ago, five months ago, but maybe longer. And we submitted a paper to the College of Bishops, which hasn't seen a lot of day. And lots of people wondering what's happened to it. And, and that's you know, kind of me too. It would be great if it were put out because it was actually a really good statement. But, uh, you know, that having been said, the, the Archbishop's words and uh, before him, Bishop Sutton's yes. uh, speech to his to the R- Reformed Episcopal Church, uh, which is in the ACNA, both articulated some really key points that the paper, the report that we put forward, um, included. So I was very happy about that. The, and and it, it relieved some worries. You know, earlier this month there was some worry that the Archbishop might be leaning the other direction for, because of some things that were done on social media, but. Man, that speech last yesterday, what he said, essentially, is, well, not only did he name critical race theory, yeah. like you said, um, but he described, you know, you know what some of the problems are with it. The, the idea that the color of your skin has something to do with whether or not you're a racist. Um, he explicitly rejected the notion that all the institutions of the United States are, are inherently racist and all the people who are, who live in the United States are therefore in, infected by it. I mean, he, he went, he didn't name uh, D'Angelo, but he certainly went after her, after her ideas and in pretty clear, clear terms. I think if you, if you come out, if you were listening to that speech and you, and you tended toward the, the quote unquote woke side, you would probably come out feeling very, very concerned because he he undermines several core key yes. components of of not just CRT but, but wokeness in general really secondly I man you mentioned I'm not sure if we mentioned it or not but the discussion about the internet and social media usage well before you get there though I wanted to just yeah. just jump onto that point because yeah. he he not only not only articulated that, as you said, very clearly, um, but he also commended Bishop Sutton's address. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if you go back and read Bishop Sutton's address, which I have in front of me here, you know, Bishop Sutton explicitly says this. He says, while models such as critical race theory may at some points offer useful information, they are not necessarily biblical nor Christian in their premises, principles and practices. They can even at times become explicitly anti-Christian, displaying another kind of religious prejudice. And since they are only theories, they can offer misinformation or exclude key information. Moreover, these secular racial theories in the hands of some biased researchers, unfortunately, succumb to to, to atheistic, totalitarian Marxist ideology. It's like, well, (laughs) he's just saying everything that we um, 
they, they, the critics of justice, as somehow pejoratively have been <laughs> labeled, um, have been saying for from 18 months now. And it's refreshing, it's encouraging, and it's, um, well, life-giving, really, in terms of the going the direction of our church. Because no one is, as we say, to we're blue in the face, is denying the existence of sin, death, and the devil in our world. And the fact that there are um, broken systems, people, and, and countries is a reality of, of where we are. And yet, we are called to bring different tools to bear. You know, we have a we have a different way of diagnosing and healing this broken world. And the right. fact that our the fact that our dialogue in many parts of the church uh, simply is a um, less sophisticated version of what you see happening on you know major news networks and in the pages of the New York Times and the Atlantic and the New Yorker is is laughable, um, really. And so that's that's where we've been reset. But back to your point, uh, Matt, uh, you know, Bishop Archbishop Foley didn't just mention these specific theories, but he he referenced, in fact, the conversations that we have been having as clergy in particular. And I thought he was um, well, I thought that was very encouraging, too. But but you you have a specific take being someone who says strong things on the Internet. Um, so, <laughs> At first, I thought, you know, maybe he's talking about me. But then I thought, no, 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 um, must be somebody else. That's how I listen to most sermons. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, so, uh, so I, I mean, of course, you know, some anybody who's on social media for length, any length of time is going to say some things that are out of bounds and that are, are you need to apologize for. And I certainly have. But it was interesting. One of the things he was, he was talking about those who go on and post emotional things without substantiating what Sorry. they post. And then get angry when pushback when pushback comes, and it sounds when he when he said that it, it sounds a lot like the, the the kind of pattern that you see among you know the platform ACNA clergy who post something like you know all white people are racist. <laughs> Every <laughs> the ACNA right. is insufferably racist. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Something like that. And then and then they get pushed back, and then they they play, play the victim. They, they're so weary. They're so tired of fighting for justice, and so it's so difficult. And well, yeah, he he quoted and, Proverbs eighteen seventeen says in a lawsuit, the first to speak or the one who states his right. case first seems right, and so the other comes and examines them. I mean, that's yeah, that's um. And you know, we've said this before. Like Twitter is the worst possible medium for that actually to take place. Like if you are only Twitter friends with your only with if you're only tweeting out to your friends and maybe you would have a conversation but right. twitter is like one attempt to sort of dunk on someone or some snarky passive aggressive subtweet uh, after another and so the fact that the fact that you know when people get pushed back um they don't want to spend the time to actually um dialogue is it seems to be built into the algorithm of why it is both maddening and um impossible to give up twitter yeah. you know but yeah, but he yeah. did he did address that and i think you know and, and i thought one of the most cutting lines he said was you know some of our clergy need to wonder why they think so much of themselves that they think that they need to weigh in or that people would care about every they weigh in on every single topic like you might want to reconsider what you know whether people care what you think about how long Biden and Putin shook hands today or uh, or, um, you know, whatever the case might be. And yet we do know that that's also a um, temptation that Twitter can can lend itself to. Yeah, but he, he certainly yeah. got into that. Um, I mean, that's one of those parts where I thought that's clearly somebody else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
well, but I do think, look, I thought about it. I thought about, cause we have been part of this dialogue. You know, we are, we are resembling some of these remarks. And I think given, again, we all, everyone thinks that they, everyone does what's right in their own eyes, right? End of judges. But, but I do think that we have tried to be, and I, you know, Liza, if she were here, she reads everything that I put up or, or say or put out uh, just because I'm trying to be sensitive to the fact that these are sensitive topics and people have a lot of emotions behind them, you know, whatever the case may be. And trying to be, you know, we've been pastors our whole lives. Uh, we've dealt with people who are um, like ourselves, emotional and at times irrational and reactionary. And so I'd, I'd like to think that we are not part of the problem, although I assume some people think we are, you know, in fact, you showed us some of those screenshots about thinking that this, even our whole Anglicans for the gospel group is somehow part of the vile rancor that poisons the internet. And I just, you know, I, what I would welcome someone to do and have, they have done to us in past is, is, um, is if that, if that seems to be the case for someone, like we're, we're adult people, you know, we can handle someone saying, Hey, I think you, misspoke, overgeneralized, were too snarky, like that didn't seem becoming, like these are all very, very positive or not positive, but um, actual things that have been said to me before. And I have had the opportunity to say, well, you know, in retrospect, I think you have a point and I apologize. And I've also said at times, well, that was well considered and I don't see where the offense was. And so I'm sorry that there was a, you know, I'm sorry you took it that way or whatever the case may be. But I was, I was listening to his talk. I was, I was also going back through our past 18 months, particularly with this podcast and our websites and things and trying to figure out to, to whatever degree we were complicit in that judgment where we needed to, to either pull back or, or repent. And um, you know, there have been times when we have, um, said as much, but, but I think, I mean, I, I've, I've rarely engaged in conversations that I have been more, I've been walking on more eggshells, I feel like, than, than these conversations, beginning with our very first one. I think we had it on, I think we had it on critical race theory. I think the very first one like we talked the third about one, but yeah. yeah. And people were all, um, you know, I don't know. It was, it was I mean, like, I was sweating, sweating the whole <laughs> yeah. time having the conversation, but we are trying to model, trying to model an actual conversation among Christian people where we realize that there might be a possibility at the end of the day, we simply disagree. I mean, that might be, that might be where we end up is that, is that there might not be another argument or a book or a tweet or a stat that's going to come out that's going to change my mind or your mind but we need to we have to continue that that conversation just st- or else we're just going to go back into our own little in yeah. our own little corners one of the things i thought when i was listening to your bishop is you know a lot of our a lot of our bishops are uh you know, a generation older than us I think I'm a generation. Well, I'm not sure if I'd be considered part of your generation. I think I'm older, one generation above you. I think the bishops are like the previous. Most of our bishops are previous generations. So they don't have a lot of experience on social media, and and so I think that sometimes you hear a tendency, and I don't necessarily. I think I had I heard it with the archbishop, but I hear it elsewhere. Uh, a tendency for bishops to say, you know, just get off social media. You don't. You just don't be on social media. And I understand that, and I think maybe for some some that might be a, a wise thing, if you, especially if you have high blood pressure or uh, or you don't you can't like you really can't articulate uh, something in a way with 
without you know cursing or or using <laughs> you, <laughs> just, you just yeah. can't do that just can't you probably shouldn't so, be ordained um, but that's but, a whole nother conversation what happens the, what, the the thing that i think people are missing though is that lots of people do pay attention to these things like yeah, you shamed me into getting on involved yeah. in all of this because of this very there, conversation yes there are lots of people on social media who are listening and if if the only people from the ACNA who are posting anything are posting things like all white males are racists, then two things are going to happen. One, the people who agree with them are going to be drawn to the ACNA. Two, people who disagree with them in the ACNA are going to feel like no one's saying anything. Like, why are these people allowed to just go off and nobody? there's nobody standing up against them? Um, and that will discourage people and maybe even cause people to leave, leave the denomination. Well, that's why we started the Facebook page. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's why yeah, exactly. I, was like, I was like, somebody out there has, has to, to at least something. be concerned about these issues, uh, whether we have got it all figured out or not. I mean, I don't think anyone would say that we have this, the final word on on any of these issues. Right. But but some of them we have been talking about for a lot longer than than Twitter was even around, right. you know. And so the fact that there are people like, for instance, who could tweet that, or imply things in tweets like anyone that is against women's ordination is a misogynist. Uh, woman-hating, misogynist, you know, troglodyte Neanderthal, um, the smiley face emoji um, is like, <laughs> I mean, that's not true. I mean, there are there are certainly people like, I mean, that's just another example of the way that this broad brush and social right. media is being, um, and then the problem is, you know, is what you ran into in that um, Anglican, wherever that Facebook group is for the ACNA that has like 8,000 members or whatever, yeah. like the moment some actual discussion takes place, which where there is going to be, a discussion there's going to be sparks there's going to be edges you know there's there's moderators for a reason when someone comes in you know one of these anonymous very courageous anonymous facebook posters who says something actually offensive or mean or cruel and they get deleted and blocked from the group but when someone comes in and says hey you know i don't uh, actually agree with you and i think you might be incorrect uh, in fact and here's here's how and why and then they then there's this like bishop or Bishop foley was saying then when that happens that's immediately not even it didn't even take as far as I could ascertain, like more than two or three back and forths before that was immediately censored as mm-hmm. divisive and harmful. And and the tone was just all wrong. And so right. we're just going to shut it down. And so what that's happened, what's happened about that is that all of these necessary conversations and part of a conversation is is a learning experience in and of itself, because if you're not allowed to articulate something, then you're not even sure what you believe about that issue. And oftentimes in the middle of a conversation, people will have their mind changed, even if they think they're arguing something that they know very well. And that's part of the of what freedom of speech and the whole the whole process of coming to a consensus is is that's that's part of the whole process. And that has been shortcut in the ACNA. And it's not just the ACNA, but this is one we live in by this immediate appeal to you're you're disagreeing with me. So you're harmful and you're you're cruel. You know, I don't know how many times that that disagreement on Twitter or Facebook has been equated with being cruel. It's like, I don't think you know what that word means. Like cruelty is like a quite serious offense. And if in no pastor that I know who I respect should be described as a cruel person, you know, direct, maybe decisive, uh, perhaps um, you know, I don't know. There's all sorts of other adjectives that, but, but cruelty 
is is quite something um, that we should be aware of in our clergy. And like the number of times that that's been right. intimated about discussions or disagreements or but not about anything specific. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, it's like I mean, as far as I can tell, the people who are involved in these discussions are not trying to be dismissive or cruel, certainly, but certainly not being um, sort of ad hominem or personally attacking. I mean, people have gone bent over backwards to do everything they can to actually say something that might be contrary to what is being put forth and not make it personal or or, or in fact, just to make it Christian for that matter. And yet um, this is where we are. And so I think the archbishop's statement was was an incredibly providential timed statement, not just with SBC, but just in general, because we we as he's rightly said, like the clergy and the laity are doing our best not to devour each other. You know, I mean, this is what we've been warned against in Scripture. And yet some of these these issues, we need guidance and direction. And I'm grateful for having received some. And then we can proceed accordingly with having had our leaders uh, spoken. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating who spoke to him because first Bishop Sutton. And within the ACNA, he has, if there's, a, if there's a second archbishop, maybe Bishop Sutton would be the archbishop because he is the head of the REC, which has a number, number, he's, he's a number of bishops under his, um, under his leadership. So he spoke very strongly against CRT. And uh, not only that, I mean, if you go back and read his speech, you'll see he also spoke very, very strongly. Against a gay Anglican letter, hyphenated yeah. Christianity. Called. Right, as did as did, as did as did Archbishop Beach. Yes. Um, so so those two issues were, were front and center in both Bishop Sutton's and Archbishop Beach's uh, speeches, which those are, those are two, two of the most key players in the ACNA speaking at a, a, officially it carries a lot of weight and you, it makes you wonder, you know, are other bishops also going to make similar speeches like this to the diocese? I hope so. I hope this is maybe the, the signal uh, for a, a wider clampdown on the part of bishops. I know that some dioceses are going to be immune to that, but it might be a more a signaling, a, a, a larger willingness on the part of bishops to speak out, which would be, which would be wonderful. Um, and I hope that's the case. Yeah, and I've been encouraged by the level of sophistication that the bishops have been using when speaking about these things. Like mm-hmm. I know my own bishop, Bishop Lawrence, you know, commended both um, Carl Truman's book and Rod Dreher's "Live Not by Lies," which um, you know, say what you want about the books; those are serious, serious books. Should be read by serious people about serious issues. And right. you know, it wasn't like a Jesus calling, you know, storybook for kids that we, he he recommended. And I was very in- encouraged by that. I was like, well. These are the men that um, that are leading us, and they're uh, showing have shown great courage. And we are not surprised that in the middle of tumultuous times, they continue to do so. And so, you know, I've redoubled my prayer. I mean, we're in the middle of a bishop search, and I am just praying uh, without ceasing. I mean, as far as I, every time I think about it, um, you know, trusting uh, but still praying that God will bring a man of similar conviction and courage to lead us here. And and am grateful for for all of this leadership that we are being shown and um, and continue to be uh, like we talked about with the gay Anglican letter um, shocked by my own response to having be a sheep in this respect with a with a strong and courageous shepherd. You know, it's like the idea of like I can go to sleep at night in the pen and not keep one eye open. And I'm grateful for that. At the same time, you have to be aware. I mean, you know, it's. I'm really so grateful for these speeches. At the same time, it would have been it's, it's, what would be really the best thing is 
is what happened with the gay Anglican letter. Yes, we, the document. We, we need a document. We need yes. we need a document, uh, a statement of some kind put out, not just by the archbishop, not just by uh, Bishop Seddon, but by all of the bishops. Yeah, pastoral directive. Like, yeah, this is how we talk this is, about this. That's this right. stuff is poison. We don't. We're not going to. We're not engage in uh, critical race theory. Uh, we're not. Gonna, we're going to apply. We're not going to apply critical race theory as if it's some kind of solution to our problems. Something like that put out publicly would be would be huge because then you'd have the authority of the whole college. That's not right. that it stopped the gay Anglican thing, but right. but at least you have at least you have something on paper. You have something to, to point back to and say this well, is this is, the, this is the mind of the college. And here's what I would want to encourage the bishops: is that the the, the quote unquote missional bishops who think that somehow making a statement on that would be would would be a deterrent for people is like there are people in churches all over the country who are in various denominations who are looking for that exact type of leadership who are yeah. disappointed in the SBC the PCA right. who are in various states of of uh, disarray looking for biblical courageous gospel-centered discussions about this uh, very divisive topic and i would just say that i i think if if they came out and doubled down on this and came out with the paper that we would see we would all see a renewed interest in what you know sort of classical evangelical anglicanism which is what that simply would be and i for one welcome that and i'm i'm grateful i mean i've already sent to some of my friends who are in the sbc i was like we gotta i was like well i was like as long as you can get over the get over the um it's probably more likely for a presbyterian that's right i was like look you can four-year-olds i mean come on but um uh, they baptize four-year-olds. I mean, goodness gracious. But anyway, but I think it's that and that would be my that's been my discussion down the line with whenever Bishop I had a conversation with, whether it was about gay Anglicanism or revoice or whatever issue seemed to be too hard edged or too conservative, too quote unquote whatever. I said, Do you I, I think if you look around the, the people who are actually seeking, like I said before, uh, courageous, biblically grounded Christian witness um, are looking to you and you have an opportunity. And and whether it's from a seminary perspective or a church perspective, a diocese or province, we are going to be better off on the other side. Uh, the more articulate and the more explicitly courageous our bishops are. And I'm grateful for um, the way that they've they've navigated this incredibly <laughs> difficult year and am looking forward to, frankly, um, more of the same um, as going forward. And I'm grateful for them. Um, and pray, thanks be to God. Well, that's going to be all the time that we have for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, we hope you will. You can be in touch with us. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,